Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 710. Ask forgiveness, not permission. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Todd Deacon. Hey, Todd, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready. Let's race. Let's do it. All right. Todd Deacon is the co-host and co-creator of Everyday Driver, a YouTube show that focuses on helping people find fun-to-drive cars that are both usable and affordable. And along with the YouTube Everyday Driver is also a top-ranked podcast. So I'm going to learn a little something from Todd today about podcasting. <laughs> and, uh, and I may also have content on Velocity. Todd is the primary director and editor for the show, and he can often be found behind the scenes and behind the camera directing and writing scripts. He spent 15 years in Hollywood enjoying a career in filmmaking, but his true passion is driving fun cars from everyday drivers to exotic supercars. We have a lot in common. Twice a week, he joins his buddy and co-host Paul Schmucker on the Car Debate Podcast. So, Todd, I've told our listeners just a tiny little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career, your business, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, thank you, Mark. I, it's it's great to be here with you. I, I think we've had an interesting run with Everyday Driver because my background was always, I loved cars, but I didn't have any money to get into cars. And so by the time I got to must have a career now, I went, well, cars are cool, but I love to tell stories. I love films. I'm going to go into film. So I go off to Hollywood and I do that for the better part of 15 years. And along the way, I got immersed in the car culture in LA and realized, well, this is much better than I even thought it would be. And now I have a little bit of money and get, get a cool car. And that kind of changed everything because mm -hmm. I was able to use all those filmmaking kind of background and start to work toward a car show because I realized how many people like me didn't ever really drive for fun. I mean, especially in L.A., right. where most people are just driving for traffic. But yet here's this metropolis with so many amazing, some of the best driving roads in the country that are got great weather all year round. And yet so many people I knew only commuted. So there was an inspirational moment there that kind of led me away from filmmaking and into cars. And I just I couldn't be happier about it, I have to tell you. Well, the show that you guys produce is really awesome, and I'll let our listeners know, if you haven't watched them on YouTube, you should, because these are top quality, what I call television quality or better type of shows on YouTube. Thank that, you, sir. Well, so much you see on YouTube these days is pretty rough and not very well thought through, and what you guys do is is really top notch. You really need to have your own TV show, because what you're, <laughs> what you're doing is really fantastic. But of course, what's happening on TV now and what's migrating to YouTube and streaming is you're in the right place. So uh, we're going to learn a lot more about you and what you're doing as we continue on your journey. But first, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is mm. something that's been instrumental in forming your life, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, I know you love to drive. So, Todd, take the wheel. Thank you, sir. Well, it's interesting because I was raised pretty conservatively, and it was very much a uh kind of an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. You don't ask questions, you do your job, these kind of things, which are great, don't get me wrong, great things to learn. Yep. You know, and as a father, I think about passing all that on to my son. However, when I became an adult, I ran into a few entrepreneurs and they all had kind of the same approach. And I finally got it verbalized by somebody where they said to ask forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> yes. And that was the interesting thing. That was the interesting thing about it. That was revolu revolutionary to me mm -hmm. because that was the last way I would be. Mm. And so I, I come from a place of kind of 
extra caution was kind of how I was raised. Yep. So then to apply that reality, especially because in Hollywood, for example, all you're waiting on is somebody to give you permission to do whatever. Oh, yeah. And so that may never, ever happen. So the ask forgiveness, not permission thing was kind of like, OK, I know who I am naturally. I'm not going to be reckless. But that kind of gave me, if you will, permission to go, frankly, try everyday driver. Mm. And without that inspiration of kind of, OK, I know. And I, we'd had conversations. I know all the reason we shouldn't go do a car show. I know all of the reasons. <laughs> yes. But let's go try it. And if it fails, then we'll be like, I'm sorry, uh, oops. And that was so inspirational to getting us going in the first place. And so I keep using that as a result. Well, I love this quote in so many ways, and it's something I've had to learn as well with what I'm doing. You know, we hear this from people all the time is you have to be forthright and, and so forth. And it's the same akin to being perfect. And if you wait until you have permission or you wait until everything is perfect, sometimes mm -hmm. nothing ever happens. So Agreed. that's how you have to move forward. Well, I'm really happy that you've done that. It's really fantastic. And you've branched off into the, you got the video world, the podcast world. I mean, you're, you're a couple notches and steps uh, above me. So, uh, well, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm hoping I can learn a little bit from you here because people keep saying, Oh, you need to take cars. Yeah. To the video realm. And I sit here and go, Oh my gosh. <laughs> How am I going to accomplish that? I need to find a partner or two to help me out with it. What you guys have done is really fantastic, and I'll remind the listeners, again, I'll put uh, links on the show notes page here at CarsYeah.com for Todd for you to go and click and check out what he is up to. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Well, let's go back in time. I would love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realized, uh-oh, I'm a car guy? Yeah. I mean, coming back to, I mean, I realized when I was going through, we, we were talking about some of the questions that we would cover today. And I realized how many of them came back to my upbringing. And one of the, the other ones is my grandfather was a self-taught mechanic, very, very little actual education, but he could dismantle anything. And I remember watching him and my dad's an engineer and very, very straight laced. Mm -hmm. So here's my straight laced father who has in, in his dad, a lot of car background. And I, I never really saw the two connect because my dad never really owned a fun car, except there was this weird twist where my very straight-laced father – my joke is I was raised by Ned Flanders. I mean, that's my joke, okay? <laughs> I love my dad dearly. But yeah. the, the, the terrible joke beyond that is that if you watch The Simpsons, Ned Flanders has a son named Todd. I mean, it gets worse. Oh, my gosh. You know, but but anyway. but So he was very straight-laced, and all of our cars were, were very – what is a car we need? There was no fun quotient, except before I was born, my dad had a Jag E-type. What? <laughs> and then exactly. I mean, out, out of the blue. I totally agree with you, Mark. That's the thing about it. It's just strangest twist ever. And then when I was in early teens, we lived overseas for my dad's work. And he still had an E-type, his second one, that was in his dad's barn. Wow. Oh. And I would only see it like once a year. And he sold it when I was 12. Oh, no. Oh. It's the one that got away. To this day, as many cars have driven, I still haven't driven an E-type. Oh, so, But man. that car was so counter to all of my personal car experience that I was like, what is that? What, <laughs> how, how do we get near that? Why does my father have that? It was just this car that was so iconic. Yeah. And I realized, look, that's an iconic car anyway. I get that. But I had this weird childlike experience with that car where it was unlike anything else in my in my life car wise. And I just thought that is such a departure. Why don't the two connect? Right. And it wasn't until I was back to starting the show that I even realized how much that had been deep seated in me mm. of where is that car that you love that does all the stuff you need. Uh, yeah, you definitely need to get behind the seat in E-Type because uh, I think some flood of emotions will probably come pouring back yeah, into your, your, right. your tear-filled eyes. But uh, uh -huh. I'm chuckling because when I was very young, I think I was four, my father bought an MGTC. 
as a daily driver. Mm. Yes, and yeah. I just remember sitting in the left-hand side of that car because it was a right-hand drive okay. and how much fun it was and it had those low doors. So I felt like I was a big boy because I could actually yeah. see out of the yep. car. And it was just great and fun. And he had some other cool cars. But then as I got older, all of a sudden, the cars became more and more boring. <laughs> sure, yeah. So yeah. I always said, I'm never going to do that to my kids. So by golly, when my kids were 8, 9, and 10 years old, I started racing vintage cars. I was driving a 911. Oh, cool. I just said, they're going to grow up in cool cars. So uh, I broke the mold. <laughs> uh, I understand. We got to get you in an E-Type for sure. I've got a yeah, few agreed. friends with them. So we'll uh, we'll get some things awesome. happening for we you. We should solve that for sure. <laughs> we I should. will bring cameras. Let's do that. <laughs> we should for sure. <laughs> well, Todd, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood and get our hands a little dirty and have you talk okay. about a big challenge or even a big failure that you face along the way. And I love this question because it really goes mm-hmm. into what you learn from it. So tell us how yeah. that experience yeah. helped you gain even more momentum in your career or your business. Well, I mean, here was the thing. We had the idea for the show. I, it's shocking to think about this now, but as we're reflecting, we had the idea for the show in 2007. So this summer will be 10 years since we actually started to do well, something on this show. Congratulations. Yeah, that's Thank you. incredible. Thank you. It's crazy to think about. So, well, not to mention, let me jump in here. If people will think back, 2007, 2008, what was happening? Oh, exactly. Major financial meltdown. Yeah. And that's the key thing to this story, too, is that, you know, I, I come from a from a behind-the-camera background. That was my background in Hollywood, you know, uh, writing, directing, post-production, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. I wasn't an on-camera guy. But once Paul and I had the idea to do this show, we wanted to be the guys in the seat. We wanted to – because we'd had background with helping friends get cars and these kind of things. And we are longtime buddies. We're practically brothers. So it was like, okay, we need to be on camera. Paul had even less uh, on-camera experience than I did. He'd never been on a set before. So we spent some of 07 just going – can we really do this? Just getting ourselves on camera and going, well, that's that's mostly terrible, but we can salvage a little <laughs> bit of it. You know, these kind of yeah, moments. Sure. But then what we ended up doing at the end of 07 was we actually shot and spent our own money and shot a half-hour TV pilot. Mm. And we had, you know, we weren't in any press groups. We had to rent all the cars. It was an expensive undertaking. Right. And we made a half-hour TV pilot that you've already kind of realized where this story is going. We shopped it in 08. We yeah. had some great conversations, including with Speed Channel at the time, who really liked it. And we would get all the way down the road of the conversation and it would end with, yeah, nobody's buying right now. Right. Because the economic downturn had chopped everything off at the knees and everybody was frozen and nobody was making any new business. Right. So here we had this half hour pilot that we had a lot invested in, personally and otherwise. And it was just, what do we do? Mm. We, we've, we've built something. What do we do? So that, by accident, kind of led us to YouTube. And that's been a wild west ever since. <laughs> but I mean, that was, to some degree, pretty crushing because here was this effort into something totally new and different. And yet we got to just the kind of, it wasn't even a, that's not any good. It was just, yeah, there's no place for it. Right. Yeah. No money. Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard this from so many guests that faced really difficult times during that period and just about knocked them down. But the pivot was what it was all about. And that's where the takeaway I hear from you is you pivoted towards a new platform, this YouTube Mm -hmm. thing. Although it wasn't that new then, but YouTube has certainly evolved in 10 years in many ways. And you look at some of the ways people are making money on YouTube and bringing creative content, even if they're not making money, they're bringing things to an audience that is finding them. So is that your takeaway from that experience, that challenge? Well, yes. I mean, there's a couple things that happened there. I mean, we, I'll, I'll be honest, we don't really do YouTube right. What I mean by that is, I mean, you, you've already commented about our work. Because of my film background, I'm kind of obsessed with high quality. Mm-hmm. YouTube doesn't really reward that. I know you've had our friend Matt Farah on the podcast. And yep. Matt's cracked it. Matt's cracked it by figuring out how to do volume. Mm-hmm. Volume is more successful on YouTube. I am a bit, I guess, hard-headed, and I want to <laughs> do a certain quality level thing. Yes. And so that makes us 
honestly less successful than just doing sheer volume. But on the other end of the spectrum, the great thing about YouTube, I mean, we were actually approached in 09 by YouTube when they were first starting their partner program and first starting to put ads on the front of things because they were looking for anybody that wasn't doing cat videos. And here we were, you know. <laughs> yes. So I'll be true. I mean, that's exactly how it came down, which is nuts. But the interesting thing about YouTube that I do love is there are no development people. There's nobody sell- saying you can't show that. Mm-hmm. So if you have an idea and you want to execute it visually, you can try it out on YouTube. You can fine tune it. You can go, this works, that doesn't work. And you can build a brand on YouTube. That brand could be you personally, right. as all the vloggers that make all kinds of crazy money. I know. Or it can be a something, you know, and we obviously were setting out to make a brand and think about it much more like television. But there isn't any barrier to entry other than going and doing it, mm-hmm. which is what's so fantastic about YouTube. And then as I'm already kind of alluding to, we've come to the realizations of the things, if you will, we don't do right for YouTube and kind of accepted, okay, but that's not our brand. We're not Mm going to just do fast stuff. We do this stuff that looks like it's produced. And we know that isn't exactly the best idea for YouTube, but this is much more about building the brand at large. Well, I think that's the key. And you're saying the right words. And with my marketing background, it's all about building a brand, identifying who your avatar is, identifying even more importantly who you are and how you Mm -hmm. want to project yourself. So I think you're going down the right path because there is a lot of stuff on YouTube that I would watch, but it's, it's just produced and and done so poorly, you just kind of, I can't watch anymore of this. Goodbye. Hard to get through, sure. Yeah, once you leave it, you never go back. At least I don't. So Very cool. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a career aha moment. I like to say it's a time when the the headlights come on and kind of illuminate a new direction, a new road for you to head down. And tell us how you took that and turned that aha moment into a success. Okay. Okay. Well, actually, I think it relates to where we just were, and that is looking at YouTube, one of the other interesting things about YouTube is the direct audience interaction. Now, mm-hmm. that can obviously be really venomous. It can be difficult. I mean, my joke sometimes is I'm going to put on a hazmat suit and wade into the YouTube comments. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there, there is that element. But on the other end of the spectrum, we actually try to respond to a lot of the comments, be they complimentary or even sometimes just really awful. And we just kind of respond to people and just let them interact with they know there's a person mm-hmm. that they're actually respond. They're actually making a comment about. Right. There's a show that wants to respond. And that actually, in a weird way, even though sometimes it's it's awful, but by and large, it's interesting because it's educated us on what the audience likes. Mm, yes. And all of the things – and so it's, it's – as weird as it is, it's direct audience surveys mm-hmm. in the weirdest way. And so you can see from the likes and the comments, you can kind of get a sense of, look, they'll always be that guy that hates it. They're never going to get around him. But if by and large people are liking you head this way or you head that way, it can shape the show. And two big twists for us by listening to the audience are – We didn't set out to do a podcast. I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. But because of the audience talking about wanting to interact and wanting to ask this question, wanting to ask that question, that wasn't stuff that we could respond to on video. Right. So after being actually a guest on Matt Ferris podcast a couple times, which is just kind of a hangout podcast, which isn't really our style, but we like being on there. Sure. We realized, wait a minute, there's a, there's a connection here where we can start interacting with the audience on these quick questions or help me buy a car and stuff that honestly isn't really the right video content, but is valuable for the audience and for us. The podcast can do that. And that was something that really came so organically by just going, wait a minute, that's the connection. And then the other time that happened, I mean, these are two things that, Mark, we would have never done for the show Mm -hmm. if not for listening to the audience. We did a feature film. We do a feature film once a year. And that's not a YouTube piece. It's a big 80 to 90 minute piece. Wow. We use it on Vimeo. It's always available. Kind of like you'd use Amazon. It's available on uh, rental or purchase Mm, for streaming. And then we also sell it as a Blu-ray on Amazon as well. So it's a big feature film. Big thing for us every year. A couple of years ago, we did one we called called pilgrimage 
Now, that was, as the name suggests, the trip we all want to take. Mm-hmm. Two guys with no experience go over to Germany and Belgium and drive the, drive the ring and spa. <laughs> so we loved it. We had, and it was a whole kind of travel, very, very different film for us, a whole kind of travel log right. about that. Very fun. People liked it. But the shock to me, back to listening to the audience, was when we dropped it in the first probably 10 days, Mark, yeah. I had five separate conversations with completely different people who said, you know what you guys should do? You should lead that trip. Mm. And I thought, what? I'm not a travel agent. What are you talking about? But after three or four of those conversations, when they kept happening, I went, okay, there's something here. Right. So starting last year, a year after we'd done the film, we took six people. This year, we'll probably take 12. And we just kind of walked them through that trip. Guys like us that could go, but didn't know how to even start. Right. We had the background. We had the contacts. We took them, hosted the trip. They had a blast. We're going to keep doing those. I would have never started down that road, but that was <laughs> listening to the audience, and we're having a blast with it. Uh, well, key takeaway here, obviously, listen to your audience, both good and bad. In fact, mm-hmm. I've always thought that the negative or constructive criticism, although these days on YouTube and social media, it's usually destructive criticism <laughs> or pretty rude criticism. People are really brave behind a keyboard most of the time. But uh, yes, true. Is to listen because, yes, amazing things can come out of it. I ran a company for many, many years. And one of the things we had, there was a call center where people, because we were selling mm-hmm. products and Mm. And I would have a weekly meeting with the call center, and one of the key questions I would require of them is write down the most constructive critiques that you hear from people. What are people saying that we're doing wrong? Mm. And that's where we learn the most about how to expand product lines, how to improve customer service, how to improve the way we offer things to people, which ended up leading to the most prominent one was, I want free shipping. Why don't you do what Amazon does? And we'd say, well, okay. we're, not, we're not quite as big as them, but, uh, you know, plus <laughs> sure. they're, they're uh, operating at that time, losing money, millions every week. And we couldn't do that, but mm. we learned what the, the audience wanted. So yeah, listen to your, your critics because they can teach you a lot of things. Pretty exciting. The, the path that that takes us down sometimes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, let's talk about a proudest career moment. Is there one that stands out for you that you share? Yeah. I mean, uh, I was just talking about our feature film. Our first one, which was a massive undertaking for us because it was so different than what we'd done before, Mm -hmm. in 2013. Now, that was the 50th anniversary of the Porsche 911. Mm -hmm. So we did a feature film that we called 50 Years of the 911. And we actually went and gathered up eight different cars that represented from a 1967 first-gen 911 to a 991 that was three weeks old at the time. We drove them all. And we compared them all. And we loved doing it. It was a huge thing for us. It was a real dice roll. It ended up being very successful. But there were two things about it that shocked me. First off, nobody else did that. I mean, mm-hmm. I kept thinking, we, we are, comparatively to the big boys, we're a tiny outlet. Mm-hmm. So by the time we dropped this movie, I just kept kind of editing it with trepidation. Because by the time we dropped this, is a week before we dropped this, somebody kind of come out with, you know, Motor Trend does. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. You know, I kept expecting that. Right. And we got all the way to release that September, and nobody else had done it. And wow. I kept thinking – how is that possible? How, how, are, how are we the ones that did that, which <laughs> is really exciting. Did anybody see this opportunity? Exactly. Or, or you know, we, you had to be able to find those cars. Come on, guys. You know, so, right. I mean, there were articles happening and all this kind of stuff, but we were the only ones that broke down all the generations, drove them on video. It's like an 85-minute film. Nice. And in the process, we were joking. We were joking. We just said, you know what would be hysterical? If we could find a GT3 RS40. Mm. Be amazing. There's none of those cars. One of the guys that had one of our other cars said, oh, yeah, I've got one of those. <laughs> so we put that as an extra on the end of the film, which I never imagined in my life I'd drive that car. Right. So we drove that car, which was amazing. And then about six or eight months later, that film found its way to Velocity. Velocity wanted it. 
It played for two years on Velocity. Wow. And people found us that would have never found us before. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a one of those things where it was just take the risk and then be surprised by it, honestly. Ah, congratulations. Spectacular. A lot. Well, if you're a regular listener here on Cars, yeah, you know I'm a huge Porsche 911 fan. I have been for a long, long time. Yeah, next time you do one of those, call me if you need another driver. I'm happy to join. <laughs> there were many people that, that volunteered for that I'm shoot. sure yeah, there were. Sure. I'm sure the line was very long. Special credentials only. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and go back in time. I'd love for you to share your first really special car. The first car that you got that was really special to you, maybe maybe it's your first car, maybe it was something you saved up for, something special, and maybe share a special memory you have of that vehicle. All right. Well, that was the thing. I mean, as I said before, I, it was a, a long line of uninteresting cars from you know, the stuff my parents drove, and of course, the stuff that became my hand-me-downs. It was just this long line of kind of bland sedans and this vague memory of the E-type from our past. And mm. went, What's going on here? Yeah. But I got, uh, I got a few years into marriage and early in the 2000s, and I drove by a car lot one day, and there was sitting a gorgeous 300ZX, the Z32, the, the 90s version of the oh, Nissan Z, right. which was a car that I had lusted after when it was new and couldn't possibly afford it. And here we were. Those cars were somewhere between five and ten years old at this point. And here was a gorgeous one, like right on my commute home. <laughs> and, and I kept driving by. And after two or three nights of driving by, I was like, I have to go in and yeah, see. Yeah. Went in and it was in a price point. It was like, if I sold my current car and I stretched, I could possibly get this. Mm-hmm. Took my wife over there and she was like, all right, let's look at this car. And she sits down <laughs> and goes, this is really nice. Ah, cool. So she was impressed too. So I ended up buying that car. Now, the only downside to it, it was an automatic. I was okay with that because I was commuting in LA most mm, of the time. Yeah. But I loved that car. The instant I had it, it was the first car I'd ever owned that not only did I buy it myself, but I also, I mean, because I bought other cars, we're like, Oh, that car will work. But I bought it myself, and it was a car I loved. It was a car I lusted after, and now I owned it, which was amazing. So I started seeking out opportunities to drive it for fun, which I'd never done. It was Los Angeles. I commuted. I went home. I was done. So now I'm driving LA Canyons, (laughs) and then it quickly progressed to going to the the very uh, like Supercar Sunday and the Cars and Coffees thing that happened in LA, which was just invigorating. And so I'd drive you know, an hour to a Cars and Coffee, do that for a while, then spend the next two or three hours just doing a couple hundred miles in the canyons just to do it. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly it was, it, it was like, I, I hate to say it, but it was a total reawakening. It was just one of those things where, where has this part of me been? <laughs> yes. And this car has helped me find it, which was wonderful. Ah, wonderful story. I love it when things like that happen. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? Well, I mean, I'm going to stay right there with that car. The problem, the problem with it was it was just getting older. By the time I got rid of it, it was getting older. I was moving from L.A. to Utah. The heater in that car didn't work, which when in L.A. it was like, who cares? Moving to Utah. That's a problem. And of course, at that point, we were driving a lot of stuff for the show. I would have much preferred a manual. So it would be, you know, what I what I actually uh, get a different one. What I put making a manual. If I had had money and storage, I would have kept that car. Mm. When I sold it, it made total sense to sell it. I don't regret selling it in that regard. But if I had been one of those guys that was collecting or had the space to collect, mm. I would still have that car for sure. Yeah, yeah. What fun. Great memories. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. I'd love for you to share with our audience a little bit more about what you and Paul do, what the show's all about, the mm-hmm. podcast's all about. So what has you excited and fired up today? Well, that's a, that's a great question because 2017 has got madness ahead, which is which is great in a wonderful, wonderful way. We're doing uh, middle of last year. We ramped up our podcast from once a week to twice a week. Now we aren't doing quite the volume that you are, Mark, but <laughs> yeah. we are doing twice a week. So we're on every Tuesday and every Friday. Great. We do what we call the car debate, which 
is awesome because people have been writing into us forever. This is what why we do the podcast. And they write in and they go, okay, so I'm so-and-so and I have this amount of money and I'm looking for a car like this, but what about that? And we just throw out recommendations for them. And mm-hmm. because Paul and I kind of agree and often don't, the recommendations are incredibly varied. We try to stay in people's budget. Oh, look, you have a huge dog you want to carry. Well, that takes this car out of the equation. Sure. We try to be very much to people's actual situation and actual budget while always staying under, this car needs to be fun to drive. Mm. Wants to be something that when you park it, you walk away and you look back and you go, I drive that car. The look back. <laughs> exactly. That needs to be the car you have. You know, obviously minivans sell because they're usable. Mm-hmm. Nobody walks away from their minivan and goes, I have a van. Nobody does that. <laughs> no. So let's see if we can solve that problem. That's always the thing. And the whole reason for the name of the show, Everyday Driver, is, look, I love exotics. We've driven some exotics. Driving an exotic in a cloud of smoke down a runway, fun, not relatable. No. Okay. So we generally try to talk about cars that are under 60 grand. Mm-hmm. People's budgets range wildly, of course, but even a used car under 60 grand. We love talking about that. So right. the podcast is growing. We're thrilled with that. YouTube continues. But the big thing it's twisting this year is 10 year, 10 year journey here, but we're actually going to Velocity with a half hour show. Wow. So starting second quarter of this year, we'll be on Velocity with a half hour show. And our intention is that going forward, The initial season has got some of our best stuff from YouTube will be in first season, plus some new stuff we're shooting. Mm -hmm. And then the intention is that going forward, we'll be making product for TV first and then pushing it to YouTube secondly. Awesome. So we'll be able to still feed the web because obviously tons of people, if you live overseas, you live anywhere but the U.S., you can't even get Velocity. There are people that don't see it otherwise. So we don't want to alienate that audience. And we we like our online audience. Mm -hmm. But to have a budget that, let's be honest, YouTube can't provide to make the good content in the first place and then use it along among multiple platforms is incredibly exciting. It's a lot of work, but it's incredibly exciting to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations for that. Wow. Hit the big time. All right. Well, now I can put you guys in the celebrity column of the well, uh, Cars Yeah reference list. So uh, very cool. I'm really happy for you. That's so good. That, that's really, thank really cool. It's all about reaching more people and getting more eyeballs on what you're doing. And in the case of what you guys are doing, especially your podcast, helping people make determinations. Because I think you're probably like me, Todd. In my circle of friends, I'm the car guy that people come to. I I think I can't go a week without getting one or two texts from friends that say, is the doctor in? Which is code for, I'm looking at a car to buy. Talk me out of it. (laughs) So uh, I've even thought about doing a podcast that's titled The Car Doctor, but uh, it's probably taken by somebody out there. But anyway, it could relate to cars. Yeah, no problem. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Todd. If you were a car, what kind of a car would Todd be? And more importantly, why? Okay. I pondered this for a while and I kind of went all over because I'm a guy that I've known this from the podcast and, and all this. I talk a lot about I love little lightweight, you know, the Lotus Elise is one of my all-time hero cars. I love that car. But as I started to think about your question, I thought, but I'm not a Lotus Elise. What what am I? Started thinking this through, and I landed on, much to my surprise, the GT350 Mustang. Ooh, okay. Because this is a car that I was at a car show recently where a guy told someone pull in and was like, ah, that car can't even turn. And I was like, you haven't driven that car. That car is he had the Mustang Mystique and he laid it on that car and I went, that's not what that car is anymore. Yeah. The thing about the GT350 and the why I'm relating it to me is. First off, you hear that car. It doesn't sound like anything else. It's got a very unique voice. It doesn't sound like you expect it to. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, and it is a car that is far more versatile than it suggests. It's not refined. It's not prestigious. And neither am I. But it is a car that is surprisingly versatile. It's a package that people think, I know what that is. And then you drive it and go, that was surprising. Mm -hmm. So that's why I land there. 
Perfect. You put some good thought to that, Todd. I appreciate that. Nicely, <laughs> nicely done. Well, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Driving never meant more as the all-new driving adventure awaits you with a not-for-profit drive toward a cure. Combines two spirited drives for a weekend of cars and camaraderie in Paso Robles, California. All to support finding a cure for Parkinson's disease. In a showcase of ribbon roads in California of chrome and elegance, coming up this April 28th. Enjoy some of the nicest cars, people, drives, wine tasting, and luxury receptions while driving towards a cure for Parkinson's. To register or donate, click on drivetowardacure.com or check out Cars Yeah! guest Deb Pollock's show notes page where there's links to drive toward a cure. Donate today, or better yet, go for the drive. Okay, Todd, we are back, and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Well, perfect. Here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, I kind of received it by osmosis, and that was, again, as I was talking about cars growing up, we were that family that just because of money and those kind of things, we only fixed cars when something broke. Nothing else was done to cars until something broke, and it taught me to pay attention to service intervals. You don't want to spend that money this month. You don't. But the the manufacturer has said, you know what? By this thousand miles, you really ought to replace this. Getting ahead of the problems in your car, potentially getting all those things up to speed instead of just, oh, well, we have to fix that because it broke this month. That was the thing I learned kind of by doing or not doing, I should say, was just those. I mean, come on. Manufacturers test so much mm-hmm. that they are going to know this is the wear out time. This is what you need. That stuff's not there arbitrarily. It's not there to steal your wallet. Go get your service intervals done. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of that. I'm massively crazy about that, maintaining even to probably some crazy levels sometimes that <laughs> even my wife might roll her eyes going, we really have to do that now to that car? Yeah, I <laughs> but, I but, totally uh, yeah, but you know what? Knock on wood, I don't think I've ever had a car that had to be, well, I, just, as soon as I say that, I remember once, a car that had to be towed somewhere, <laughs> but uh, that wasn't my fault. That was something else with an old okay. car, so I, I won't attribute sure. that to lack of care or maintenance. How about a personal habit? Would you share one that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Well, I, I started to realize this in the past few years as we've all, all of these very different and divergent places for our for our brand. I have kind of a natural multitasking brain. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm keeping 10 things floating at once and kind of a relentless dedication. My wife looks at me and goes, what time did you go to bed last night? Because I'm just like, well, there's stuff to do. <laughs> yes. You know, so those two things. And, and that's just the reality of this stuff has to get done. Yeah. Somebody has to do it. We're a small outlet. And, you know, I, I'm perfectly happy. And this is no offense to anybody that's the opposite, but I'm perfectly happy to go edit, then go watch TV. I'll just yeah. kind of go work on content. And the fact that I'm really dedicated to that and just kind of naturally gravitate toward it has helped us immensely. I understand, you know, people will ask me, how do you do Cars Yow by yourself? And I said, mm. 
Mm. I don't watch TV. <laughs> you know, sure. I try to yeah. read, but uh, yeah, if there's something to be done, you just sit down and do it. You get up early, but I've always been a hard worker. I think I got that from my dad who grew up on a farm. And mm, uh, my yeah. grandfather used to say, the cows never sleep, nor should you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that old mentality. Now, now, is there a resource that you'd like to share with the listeners that you really enjoy? Well, I'll do a personal plug quick and Absolutely. say we do love people that write it into the podcast. The Car Debate podcast, you can find the way to reach us through everydaydriver.com. And, and we do, we try really hard to help people. And, and the only downside, honestly, to the car debate is there are certain cars that are the best in their market segment. So those cars come up a lot. Yeah. But we just love having people write in. We love hearing people's stories. And we've found over the, over the years that we've been doing it now that it really does help people. I mean, there are tons of other resources that I like. I love if you want to just dream for a minute, go to, to bring a trailer. Be careful where your wallet is when you go to bring a trailer. <laughs> but that because it's a really fun website. But then suddenly you go, I should bid on that. No, you shouldn't. No, you probably shouldn't. Uh, but you want to. So yeah. that's a great one. I even love something as simple as straightforward as Auto Trader. Yeah. Where you just get on there and you just go, I'm looking for this car. And you start widening the net. Can you go nationwide? Just, I didn't know that car was that cheap. And this kind of stuff is interesting to just kind of feed the disease of knowing what's out there. I love that stuff. And then I, you know, I, I take in an inordinate amount of other car content from a lot of the big magazines and that kind of thing. If you can't afford it, and it is pricey, the Top Gear UK magazine is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of that magazine. The show, you know, obviously has its own mystique, but they've got great writers and fantastic photography, and they have the Top Gear reach. So I got to give them a plug, even though, my gosh, that magazine is expensive when you're over here. Yeah, I get... Probably 30-plus magazine subscriptions. That's one of them that I get. Uh, my kids look at me and go, why do you get magazines? What? Who reads sure. magazines anymore? But uh, <laughs> I'm very up-to-date on technical side. But you talk about bringing a trailer. I have a good friend, and he's a regular listener, Bill. So he's smiling right now. Who I don't think a week goes by without him sending me, do you see this car? Should I buy it? Bring a trailer? Uh -huh. And I'm like, Bill, turn your computer off. Exactly. <laughs> no, you shouldn't buy that car. Usually he listens to me, but the last purchase he didn't. I'm still going to rub that in his face uh, when that car Morning. shows up. But anyway, it was a car he liked. I didn't really care for very much, but <laughs> he's got a much bigger garage than I have. So uh, he can do whatever he wants. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or dead, who would it be? That's an interesting one because I, I gravitated toward, you know, some some heroes and that kind of stuff. And, you know, Paul always says, I'll steal his thunder and then I'll take it back. Paul always says Paul Newman, which is one of my personal shortlist favorites. It would be amazing. But then I landed on one that I think is a little unexpected, and that is from the original Top Gear guys are now on Grand Tour, James May. Ah, James, Because yeah. he's become such a caricature. If you've ever seen him host other things now, I think he's a fascinating guy. So I'm a, that's a guy, I mean, you'd think, hey, Clarkson, or Hammond, whatever, and those guys are great. But I just think it'd be interesting to just sit down with James May and just have a drink and hang out because I think he's not. he's much more – there's a lot more depth and interest there yes. than the guy he's become on the show, which I understand why he's done that, but that would be very cool. Yeah, he is the kind of the outlier there on that show, kind of a unique, different character that mm -hmm. at first mm -hmm. you'd think, why is he even here? Is he a muse or what? What, what is he? But yeah, uh, yeah he's. Uh, I, I'd love to have all three of those guys on this show. They are very hard to nail down given their oh, schedules. Oh yeah, certainly. Certainly. But uh, maybe someday we'll have them on. And uh, when I have James on, I'll say, "Hey, James, I got a buddy who wants to have a drink with you. Is there any way we Perfect. can connect you to? Uh, just uh, fly over there to Park City, go skiing. I'm sure Todd will take good care of you. So. <laughs> Let's nah, do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think the Car Shout listeners would enjoy reading as well? Yeah, I have one that a lot of people probably heard of because it's, it's I don't know, six or eight years old now. But it was one of those books that a couple people recommended it to me. And I went, yeah, 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 yeah. I understand. I'm your car guy friend. You think I should read this book? And I avoided it for a long time until I finally read it and went, that's a great book. 
it's called The Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth Stein. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. And look, it's it's fiction, but here's a guy that writes a book that uh, I'm amazed that he did this. Look, I'm a guy that owns a dog, so it spoke to me from that perspective. It's, it's told from the perspective of this guy's dog who's named Enzo. Yeah. Well, the lead guy is a race driver. He also is a father. So there's a father uh, father and child story in there. There's a owner and dog story. There's an actual lots of discussion about racing and uh, you know how to drive and these kind of things all wrapped up in one book. And again, like I said, I avoided it for the longest time. I was like, I hear you. I'm a car guy. I should read a book about, yeah, whatever. I like dogs. Okay. But I read it and was really struck by it. It's not, it's not overly long. It's not overly deep, but it's just a really good book. Yeah, that is the most recommended book here on Cars. Yeah, which is seriously, kind of, seriously which is surprising to me. I have tried and tried oh. to get Garstein on this show. His uh, agent, if you will, has just said, ah, he's not a car guy. Uh, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I think that was just a way to politely say goodbye, leave me alone. Wow. So I've not been able to convince him. I've got to find some out- listener out there who knows him well enough to say, Ah. Come on, give Mark a break, promote your book a little bit more. But I enjoyed that book as well. I think it's a really unique, a different book. I've always thought it would translate well into a movie of some kind. Yeah. If there's a way, and I keep hearing over the years that's going to happen, but nothing ever happens. So who knows? Who knows? Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Todd has been so kind to share on his show notes page at carsyad.com slash Todd Deacon. And his last name is D-E-E-K-E-N, a rather unique mm-hmm. Uh, spelling of that word. I understand there's only 300 plus people in the world with that last name. We've heard it's like 300 or so families. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. So, uh, and there's another great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where this book, The Art of Racing in the Rain, and the past recommendations from 700 plus guests are listed there for quick, wow. easy clicks to buy. Wow. It's a great resource. There's some wonderful books there. Absolutely. I think the second most recommended book so far is, uh, Go Like Hell by A.J. Bain, of course, okay, the great sure. race of the Le Mans race of the uh, Ford and Ferrari racers. So, uh, yeah, very cool. All right. We are up to the checkered flag, Todd. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have okay. only one very cool collector car in your garage, even that E-type that your father used to have, money's no object. I'll buy you anything you'd like today. What would it be? And more importantly, <laughs> Why? Well, I mean, you'll see the thread. In fact, you've almost connected the thread already. But I'm going to say, you know, you know, the side note for a second, you know, Singer 911s, right? Uh, yes. Rob Dickinson has been a guest here on Cars. Yeah. Yes. They're amazing. And, and you walk around them in an auto show and you just think, how is this possible? Well, the Singer equivalent for E-types is called Eagle. Yep. I'm familiar with them. Based out of England. And yep. I mean, first off, you start with an E-type and you probably spend 100 grand to just get them a decent E-type. You can spend two or three times that just having them do it. But they're really high-end Eagle Speedster. They're big Eagle E-type where it's all of the good things about the E-type with all of the best things about modern technology. Those are wickedly expensive, but it's the best of all worlds. And if I can have an Eagle E-type done, perfectly happy. Oh, you know, you're the first person out of 710 guests to select that car. And I'm really surprised. Look at that. Yeah, I, I, in fact, I haven't even had another person select a singer except for me when my son interviewed <laughs> me on the 300 show. Okay. Because the singer has done what Eagle has done, the Eagle Speaster has done for Jaguar E-types. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I'm very, very familiar with those cars. I've seen several of their builds over here in the U.S., and they do an absolutely spectacular job of customizing and bringing to the future that classic E-type, which is just one of the most beautiful cars on the planet. For sure. Agreed. So, agree. Oh, I'd be happy to buy you one of those. What color would you like that to be? <laughs> hmm, we'd have to have a conversation. I'd either do like a deep, not not the the E type red, either a deep red, almost a maroon, but Ooh. like a deep red, yes, or possibly a really nice blue. 
Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, man. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah, just oh, to go gosh. over there and specify all the details. Yeah. 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 Uh, great choice, my friend. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Not, wonderful, wonderful. Well, Todd, <laughs> you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yacht listeners and with me. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you rip off down the road, that mountain road there in Park City and that Eagle Speedster? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, it's something that I bumped up against in the process of doing the wiles of YouTube and all the other things that our show has taken us to. And I came to this reality, certainly with the the Internet and all the broad things that it's provided. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I want to get this across to my son at some point, too. And that is, at this point, you can really make money doing anything you can imagine. The side note of that, though, is that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I feel like because you can make money at anything, there is a secondary thought of, I'm just going to try that. I'm going to make millions, not without really almost killing yourself. But anything you want to set out to do is probably a money-making venture if you push at it hard enough. Absolutely. Great advice, especially for young people and old people like me (laughs) who've started a new trick here with podcasting. That's fantastic advice. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your buddy Paul and find all the different things that you're doing these days? The simplest thing, and, and the reason we set up this way, our, our website is a hub for everything, for the feature films, for the podcast, for the YouTube channel. Nice. It'll be a place, obviously, for Velocity as well. So everydaydriver.com, from there, you can branch out to any of the things that interest you and the stuff that we do. We'd love to have you with us. We'd love to have you writing to us because the crazy thing is we read all the YouTube comments and we read all the emails. It takes a while sometimes, but we do actually interact with all of it, even if we don't respond. So that's the simplest way to get to us. And then, of course, you know, because of social media, if you're on a social media thing, it's that slash Everyday Driver, be it Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. We're on all of those as well. Fantastic. Well, again, listeners, you can find links to everything Todd has shared on his show notes page at carsyacom slash Todd Deacon, or just type Todd in the search bar and that page will pop right up with all these links. I would encourage you to have some fun. Obviously, the listeners in Cars Yacht land love cars, so you're going to love what <laughs> Todd and Paul are up to. I guarantee it. These guys are having some fun. Todd, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yacht listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Mark, thanks a lot for having me on. It's really great to connect. Pleasure's been all mine. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!